Everybody, welcome to the Pop My Culture podcast. I'm Cole Stratton, and I'm Vanessa Ragland. Hey, V, how are you? Great, sweet, <laughs> to the point. No same. nonsense. That's right. We're here in Bangladesh, ready to bang out another great episode. That's right. We. It's weird that we spent all of our money traveling to Bangladesh to record these. I regret it. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it just... felt good when we were planning it, but yeah. we were also on every drug. That's true. All of them. We all collected the drugs. All of them. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. A little bit of housekeeping before we get to the episode. By the way, great guest today. Um, oh, yeah. Someone I've actually known for quite a long time, which we'll get into in the podcast. And this is my first time meeting him. There you go. And I'm nervous. Uh, Scott Ackerman will be here shortly, uh, host of Comedy Bang Bang and scores of other things. So we'll talk to him in just a few minutes. Uh, let's see. We are primarily listener supported. So support us. It's so easy. Just go onto our website, popmyculturepodcast.com and click donate and give a gift, any gift at all. Or just go to popmicultrepodcast.com, <laughs> click on the money button. Anything is appreciated. Uh, we will give you a shout-out on the air. And actually, we have a couple shout-outs to do. It's been a little while here. Yes. So, um, and we, we apologize for taking the too long of a time because the gifts really did mean a lot to us. We yep. just had other things that we had to do in the last episodes. But now we're really glad to get to thank you. Yep. So uh, really quickly, since we're nearing uh-huh. Halloween here, I thought I would check Oof. in with Tiny Catherine Hepburn. I know she's oh. getting ready for Halloween. She's is she been, around here? Trying, yeah, she's been trying a lot oh. of different costumes. Let me see what she landed on here. Ah, ah, ah. Boo. <laughs> hey, Kate. Hello. Uh, I got a couple people to thank for my culture. Yeah, not even going to say anything. No, I'm well, not even going to comment. No, it's what it, I, it took me a while to put this together. And is so, that a, is that a zombie outfit? Is that what you're? Is that a zombie? Yes, I'm undead. Okay. Uh, great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Brains. Sure. Perfect. Brains. Uh, I love them to eat. Right. I also like to wear pants. Yes, you do. All right, okay, let's, let's thank some people here. Right. Uh, one very particular special thanks goes oh. to uh, Leah. Leah! Brains! You should eat them. <laughs> Leah, thank you so much for your gift. I hope you're having a great Halloween if you celebrate it. And if you don't, maybe do this year because I am on such a high right now. I cannot tell you. I just put this green face paint on. I've ratted up my clothes a bit, and I feel, I feel that I could do almost anything. I could eat almost any brains. And I want you to feel that, Leah, because... At our heart, as women, we are indestructible. Well, they'll try to bring us down. They all will. But we're going to make it, okay? We're going to survive. We're going to be just fine. Brains. That was terrific. Thank uh, you. Very heartfelt, I yes, think. Yes, I was. Absolutely. Uh, Greg, let's thank Greg. Well, you're a man, Greg, so I'm sure everyone else in the world loves you. But now you've got my vote, too. <laughs> it's nice when a guy like you goes out and does something good for other people. Nice. Brains. That's right. Brains. And let's use your brains. Brains. One last person, Svetlana. Svetlana. Ooh. Well, that's a lady. Well, Svetlana, your name's doing a lot of the heavy lifting for you. You already have a pretty great personality. I feel like just I feel like I know her just because of her name. Huh? <gasps> oh, Svetlana, thanks for your gift. And I hope you get out there and get some candy or scare some people or kick a pumpkin in the head and pretend like it's someone that hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> Brains. Nice. Brains. Brains. Wait, I need a Twix. I need a Twix. Don't you? I know what you said. I could have a fun size candy. I'll bring you a fun size later. Ah. 
Yeah, thanks, Kate. Uh, that was uh, trying to Catherine Hepburn as a zombie. I was just dusting in the for. living room. What happened? Oh, uh, just a thing. Oh. Um, thank you guys for your donations. We really, mm-hmm. really, really appreciate it. And thank you, skeletons, for your bonations. Oh, no. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, thanks. Uh, we have a sponsor once again for this episode, Mac Ooh. Weldon, who uh, have come back to sponsor us a little bit more, and they are fantastic. It's a man panties store. so nice, we <laughs> wanted to thank them twice. That's right. They've got amazing underwear as well as socks and t-shirts and stuff but the underwear is the primary awesome thing that they mm-hmm. sell there um they i actually like i've said this before i came across it just on facebook i think or something and you clicked i did and they made a guarantee that if you didn't like your first pair they would refund your money you get to keep the underwear though so that's cool. <laughs> i don't know what they're gonna do if you send them back but um they're wonderful they're super super comfortable um they, they look great they've framed the man junk very oh. beautifully <laughs> Mac and, uh, Weldon, because they are the family jewels. Sure. I keep them nice. There you go. I'm always pitching them. They haven't taken any of my slogans so no, far. There you go. But they also uh, provided some to your husband, John. That's right. And uh, they look nice. I don't know if you guys have seen my husband naked or in his underwear, but it's okay. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it's been more than okay lately. Those hug the curves, honey. Yeah, they honey. Do. Very nice. I like the um, my favorite cut because... We've tried them all. I like those tight little boxer briefs. Yes, I have the boxer briefs. They're so cute. They're really nice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they're great. And uh, also there's a silver line, I believe they're called, that um, they're a little more expensive, but they're great if you play sports and stuff to wear underneath. They sweat great, and they're odor-absorbent, and they Ugh, stay comfortable. I really hate it when you pitch this part. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, I know. You, uh, you people are gross. Thing. Um, so, guys, go to MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Use the code POPMY, P-O-P-M-Y, and you'll get 20% off your first purchase. Which is pretty great. So you can thank them and, for the bow nations too. There you go. <laughs> go and try a pair. It supports us as well as them. As well as your so, balls and, and dick. Supports, yeah. <laughs> Yuck. Your, I'm sorry. Your dangly bits. Oh, um, that's a nicer way to say nice? it. Yeah. So guys, go check out MacWolf. Your goobly little turkey parts. <laughs> and thank them very much for sponsoring us. You can email us. Info at popmyculturepodcast.com. We read them all. We'll write you back. Get hey, suggestions. Welcome. Carolina wrote me. I haven't written her back. Maybe Carolina. She found this song about being obsessed with the Olsen twins. Oh, yeah? It's amazing. I haven't written back because it's too much feeling, but I'm going to sort through those feelings. Thank you so much. All right. Well, what a gem. We'll hit you back on that. Oh, yeah. And go to iTunes, leave us a review. Everything helps us get featured. And by everything, he means every five-star review. And if you've got something <laughs> negative helpful. to say, why don't you keep it to yourself? Oh, boy. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Well, I'm a mother. <laughs> We've done a lot of housekeeping, so let's get to the fun stuff. Uh, Scott Ackerman will be here momentarily. I'm sweating. Uh, our guest today, here he is, Scott Ackerman. There it is. It's official. Oh, hello. Uh, oh, it's on. Comedy Bang Bang, You Talking You Too to Me, lots of other stuff. We'll, we'll talk it all. So welcome what to other Thanks stuff. for being here. Nothing. Other things. <laughs> I have a list of stuff. Hi, guys. Thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, of it's course. a pleasure. Being here. My button is unbuttoned. Oh, no. Too many muscles. Not enough <laughs> no, shirt. right at the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> I have a problem with those buttons as well. <laughs> I just wear stretchy They're stuff. They're fussy. Mm-hmm. They're fussy when you have the kind of body that <laughs> happens to be... With a... Yeah, fusses with a lower button. I'm just one of those guys that unfortunately has a decent amount of junk in said trunk. Mm-hmm. So, like, Your front the trunk. combination of the... The stomach and that makes shirts mm-hmm. like losing their minds. What do you, were a you born booty? with it, or do you do a lot of squats, or what's what's happening back there? Um, I was born with it. Who'd or you maybe get it it's from? Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know who. I don't, I don't think it was like a 
genetic trait. There's not a bunch of big butts in my family. Who's got a big butt? Your mom? Your dad? Your <laughs> Come grandpa? Come on, talk about it. Yeah, no, it's... Let's talk right. about your mom's big ass. <laughs> this is where we really get to the meat of who Cole is. <laughs> the meat. You didn't yeah, always have, the, have the, the junk in the trunk when I first got to know you. I think I did. <laughs> but I didn't, have junk up, I didn't have the junk up front. So, mm, yeah. Uh, so that you we know, got it was to know all each, booty. Yes, we got to know, how old were you when I got to know you? Uh, probably 14. 14, you think? Yeah. It was 1992. Two. Which, actually, funny enough, I found Cole this. brought relics from uh, the past. Mm. You guys have an origin story There's together. There's a script. There it is. Have you seen this since? No, I have not since the day. Since the Must. Day. Uh, so, Scott, just to shed light on this, Scott and I have discovered this. We had known each other for a while through SF Sketch Fest. Right. But then discovered all of a sudden that we had known each other previous to that randomly. But we were both in a 1992 production of A Christmas Carol at Sacramento Theater Company, STC as it's called. Um, I played Peter Cratchit and Dick Wilkins, who's like young Scrooge's buddy at the dance. And young Scrooge's dance. buddy. Mm-hmm. buddy. <laughs> and then you were Fred, right? I was Fred and young Ebenezer, I think. Oh. Or was I? I was Fred, definitely. You're definitely Fred. I think I played Yeah, Ebenezer aspirations. I think I played like five different parts, but I th- think I... Uh, I don't know. If I look at these lines, I'll remember. Yeah, but right, yeah. Right. Were you from Sacramento? I can't recall. Davis. Yeah. So, You're from Davis. So right okay. next door. And you had grown up like... Watching shows there. I did a lot of community do. theater, like at Davis Musical Theater Company and stuff. And I did mm-hmm. a few STC shows at a good person at Szechuan. And I think I did Christmas Carol twice. Because um, okay. they would do that every year. It was like a perennial. And then they retired it for a while, but I guess they brought it back. Oh, do they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And are you bit. from there as well? No, I, um, I'm i from down here, actually. Oh, really? And I, um, that was the second professional theater gig that I had gotten. I, I graduated from a theater school in central california um and that summer i was working there and they had a bunch of um theater companies come in and you gave auditions for all of them and uh sacramento theater company the the director was tim right yeah uh, tim tim something tim Selleck. tim tim, Selleck? tim, tim, tim. <laughs> wow <laughs> but he he came and i auditioned for him and he offered me the part and so i went up there it was my I sort of consider my school to be not uh, far away. So it's sort of what I consider to be my first like real gig because I, I was working at that school during that summer. So, and that STC is like a partial equity house. So like X percentage of the performance have to be an equity X percent aren't, but everybody gets paid. Yes, something. and it wasn't a lot. It no. was, it was like twenty bucks a performance or something. Oh, oh whoa! Oh, that's interesting that you were getting that. <laughs> See, I, Are you okay? I was. I was like at thirty five thousand. <laughs> no, no. I I remember uh, it was a hundred and it was either one hundred and fifty dollars or one hundred and seventy five dollars a week. Right. Oh my plus gosh. Plus housing. They would put you up in a. Um, I I was I was in two different places. I was in a. Uh, older folks' house for about three weeks, and then they moved me into an apartment on 14th and N, which was a very scary neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Ooh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think for like the non-equity, like kids or whatever, it was like 20 bucks a show. Like you didn't get paid for the rehearsal process. I was non-equity though, so the right. equity people, I'm sure, were making more. Probably but more. I was like kind of in that mid thing of like I wasn't equity. They didn't have to pay me equity rates, but I was right. still like an older person who right. Yeah, could so, read the contract. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who settled for one hundred and fifty dollars a week? I'll take it. Oh shit! Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's I mean, nineteen ninety two money. So that's like one hundred and seventy five dollars. <laughs> oh my god, it was so little money. I mean, that's why I quit doing theater. Is like you can't make any money at yeah. it, and and you have to move every nine weeks because I was there for only nine weeks, but 
weirdly it's it's how i started doing comedy is through a relationship that i made in that show with oh really yeah with one of the actresses maleva barbula yeah Yeah. whoa it's crazy like when we finally figured out the trajectory afterwards because Mm -hmm. i I think it's a good 10 15 years later when we came to this realization how did we come to the realization i don't remember enough jenny stevenson who was in the show with us she Mm -hmm. played one of the other kids right Um, i hadn't seen her in forever but we became she was with red red hair or Uh, blonde like curly blonde okay um and she had moved to new york and we became facebook friends and i was going out there for a trip and i was like hey let's meet up it's been like you know 10 15 years let's go have Mm -hmm. a drink and see how things are going and at the time i think i was in sketchfest planning mode and i had mentioned you for some reason like because you just tweeted something or something she goes oh yeah scott from christmas carol <laughs> oh like, my god! What gosh. are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, Scott Ocker, he's in Christmas Carol. I was like, no. He... And then it was just like, it all like came rushing back. I just saw like a slideshow. You know, that's and, funny. And I was like, oh my god, you're right. And then I texted you saying, hey, were you in a Christmas Carol at ST in Sacramento in like 1992? And you wrote back, yes. Did you see it? Ah. <laughs> to which I wrote back, yes, forty something times. <laughs> with you. That's so funny. Yeah, I rem- I remember uh, there were a few pockets of people that that I would sort of hang out with. I mean, I didn't really hang out with you guys other than at the show, but yeah. uh, Maleva and our friend David, I think, uh, the three of us would hang out all the time after the show. And then there was the group of you who were like 15, 14, 16. It was the you. The kids, yeah. Yeah, and then... Best Manning, I think. Right, yeah. And then there were the kind of older people who were the equity actors who right. were all like... In my head, they were really old, but I'm yeah. sure they were 35, <laughs> <Right>? you know? <laughs> um, and so that was sort of – and then there were the really young kids. There were um, a couple of really young kids. And actually, one of them um, – I don't know if you remember the kids who played Tiny Tim. Mm-hmm. They were both girls, yes, right? that I recall. One was five and one was four. And the one who was five was like sort of a pro actress and was really like nice and well-behaved. And we all liked her and we're all like, oh, she's great. And then the one who was four <laughs> was was really mean all the time <laughs> and was was kind of crabby and stuff. And I was like, oh, man. And then I remember one day we were rehearsing and she like snapped at me <laughs> something really weird. And I was like kind of irritated by it. And then the next day she came up to me and she had like a present or something. And she said <laughs> – she said – I'm sorry I was mean to you. My dad left me when I was really young, and I have problems with that. And I, and I lash out at people, and I was like, oh, my God. Like the most evolved four-year-old. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so then I became like her friend because oh. I felt like, oh, no one understands her. Yeah. Right, you know? yeah. So, it was, it, so, yeah, that was the one thing that I remember of the other people from there. Well, how did that get you into comedy? What did you guys start doing? Okay, so Maleva was an actress who she had, she had done – she she would always talk about uh, she had done a show with Joanne Worley there, or she had dressed Joanne Worley the summer before or something. <laughs> yeah, and she would, I think in Music Circus because Music yes. Circus is the summer program and they do the musicals yes. in the Big Ten. So she would always do this impression of Joanne Worley saying, Maleva, it's Joanne. <laughs> <laughs> so Maleva and I became friends, and um, then she moved down to L.A., and then I traveled around doing theater a little bit for for about another year, and I got sick of it, and I, I moved back to L.A. And so we were friends, and I would sort of, like, show her some stuff I'd written. I was trying to be, like, a screenwriter at the time. I, I had said, forget acting. I'm just going to write. 
So she um, she had this circle of friends that I started to kind of get to know. I remember um, I picked up her roommate from the airport coming down from Sacramento, and I met her roommate who was a stand-up comic, and that was Karen Kilgariff. Hmm. Um, and she she had the this group of friends that she knew and i i remember i went to a party once and i i met bob odenkirk there mm. and he was like uh, he you know always loves to like strike up like conversations with young people and that sounds weird but he like <laughs> it's, totally it's his mo he, he fosters young he's yeah. really like interested the boys and that kind of stuff too. yeah like, tim and eric yeah. he's like really interested in like young people and what they do so he's like, hey, so what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm trying to be a writer. He's like, who do you write for? You know, thinking that we had common ground. Right. He's won two Emmys for mm-hmm. SNL and Ben Stiller, and I I had never written anything. Um, but he's like, oh, you should come see this show that I that I am doing. And he gave me a flyer, and it was for something called The Cross Odenkirk Problem. Hmm. And those were the shows that they were doing in order to – they were putting them on – Basically, for HBO to come to give them the money to do Mr. Show. So so I remember getting that thing and, like, bringing it home to my roommate and going, uh, this guy I just met gave me this. And he was like, oh, I've heard of David Cross. Um, he's pretty funny. And he told me one of his jokes. I was like, oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then uh, so I saw that show and it blew my mind. Um, and I remember Bernie Brillstein being there like right after the show, like going, come here, come here over ah. to like these HBO people and then like conferring after. And I'm like, oh, I think something they're Someone's like cooking. selling, selling the show or something. <laughs> but it was like it just really spoke to me what they did. And then the same week I saw an Andy Kaufman special that was on NBC where they sort of did a documentary about his life. And I, all I knew about him was he was Latka on Taxi. Hmm. Um, so it blew my mind what he was doing. And I was like, I, f- I feel like these two things, cause I had a, a very like strange sense of humor at the time or still, I don't know. It's just like whatever the sense of humor is, but yeah. because you're not a professional comedian, people think that you're a weirdo, right? <laughs> you know, then the minute you say, Hey, I'm a comedian, they go, Oh yeah, oh, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, but when I saw those two things, I was like, Oh my God, I really am relating to these two things. And they're sort of like my sense of humor, but no one else thinks they're funny that I know. So, and then at the same time I had given a script to Maleva of a, of a TV pilot I'd written, which was sort of a one hour drama with some comedy. And she, she called me. I remember I was in my apartment and she called me and she's like, I really don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I, I don't know why you're trying to do this drama stuff. I don't think you're that good at it. Um, but I was really influenced. Like I'd grown up in the theater. So I was influenced yeah. by like David Mamet and stuff. So I was trying to write like drama. She's like, you're a really funny guy and nothing you've written is like funny. Like you are, why don't you try comedy? And I said, I, you know, it's weird because I, I recent, these two things I've seen recently make me feel like I could do something. Um, so she goes, my friend has a, has a show. You should just get up at her show. She said that you could do something. I told her how funny you were. And and I said, she said, yeah, go ahead and, and, and have him do something. So that was a show run by Marilyn Rice Cub and CJ Arabia, who were doing a show called Windows 95 in, in the comedy store. So, um, my friend and I thought of something really weird that we, we sort was sort of influenced by Bob and David of what we thought was kind of like what they were doing. And we 
did it at the comedy store and it went really, really well. And, and I remember Mary Lynn afterwards was like, yeah, it was good. Do you want to come back and do it again in two weeks? And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and that's, and then the second night that we were doing it, Bob was in the back and sort of had forgotten. He had met me a few months earlier and was like, oh man, you guys are so funny. Um, you should write on my show. That's a good Bob, by the way. <laughs> Everyone always does the God damn it, yeah. Bob, but he's always like, oh, hey. A little sleepy. <laughs> oh, hey man. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, and that's how I got into comedy just because I went to Sacramento theater company. I, I, I literally do not think that I would have gotten into the business if not if for doing if, wow. if not for doing that show. It's crazy how that trajectory goes. Like I remember the one thing I vividly remember about you from that was that my top hat? Your top hat, yeah. <laughs> was that sometimes we would have these two show days where there'd be a matinee mm-hmm. and there'd be an evening show and you'd have like two hours in between. So you didn't really have enough time to do anything. You could go mm-hmm. grab a bite to eat Whatever. A lot of times we would just hop in a car and go down to the K Street Mall or whatever and screw Ooh, around there for a little bit. Local. Somebody had a Jeep that everybody we joked about would like <laughs> turn over and we'd all oh, die. I but, <laughs> uh, but I remember I went to a music store with you inside the K Street Mall and you bought me the single of I've Been Waiting oh. by Matthew Sweet. Oh, yeah. Because you're like, you should check this guy out. My friend had just done that for me and said, you should check this guy out and given me the... Or loaned or made a tape for me. Yeah, he made a tape of the CD of Girlfriend. There you go. Yeah, and so yeah. So I heard that song and I became obsessed with Matthew Sweet and he's one mm-hmm. of my favorite all time musicians oh, and stuff right. since then. So you thank guys. you for paying for the single. Of course. History. And then I, I got to have Matthew on my show. He played the band leader in an episode of my show. Oh my gosh! So, Everything nips yeah, yeah. back. And we also went to see Bucky Larson together at the <laughs> Universal <laughs> Studios because <laughs> I had him on my podcast one day. And weirdly, he just goes, you want to see Bucky Larson? <laughs> he goes, I really want to see it, but I don't have anyone to go with. I'm like, yeah, sure. I've enjoyed your music for 20 years. Let's go see Bucky Larson. Yeah, I was um, obsessed with that. You for a long time. I remember when Altered Beast came out, they had all the different colors for mm-hmm. the booklet. And I was like, which color do I want? What'd you, what'd you get? I, I got with, purple. I went with orange. You went with orange? I don't know why, but I liked it as the cover. I'm not mm-hmm. never, ever choose orange. Yeah. That's what I went with. No, I really... I was just at Amoeba right, trying to kill 15 minutes before I got here. Um, and just I'm really like a completist when it comes to like every B-side of someone. And Matthew yeah. Sweet was someone who I had – I think I have every single song he's ever put out. And a lot of know? his wow. B-sides are great. Never Said Goodbye is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like there's some good B-sides. Yeah, like there. Radiohead has really great B-sides yep. and Matthew Sweet had really good B-sides. I think we had spoken at one point about – I had told him that, oh, yeah, I've collected, like, every song you've ever done on a soundtrack. Like, your song on Flipper. And he was like, man, those were the days when you could put a song on a soundtrack and make mm. so much money for a sound. He goes, there's there's just no money in music anymore. Yeah, I used to do that all the time. I remember about the Kraft soundtrack because his cover. Yeah, of, uh, well, he did. Uh, or Dark Secret. Dark, Dark Secret, yeah. yeah. It wasn't a cover. It wasn't but, a cover, but a lot of that album. But was. Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac played guitar on it. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. You yeah. guys. I tell you. This is a good ping pong. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> it's still good. But, yeah, is it? Uh, and and a lot of people, I think there are some professions where you go, oh, I would have, if I didn't get my break from that thing, I would have gotten my break from another thing. But I literally don't think that I would have done comedy or done Mr. Show or, or done sketch comedy, I think, without that strange connection of yeah. doing Sacramento Theater Company and Maleva being friends with all those mm. people. I I don't know another way that I would have ever broken in. Or maybe even gotten the push to even start doing comedy. I think I would have just like 
tried to be, you know, I would have had a totally alternate life. It wasn't like I was really obsessed with sketch comedy and, and right. that was my one in of like, oh, someone knows Bob. I just started doing it because I saw that show. You'd have a podcast now called Drama Bravo Bravo. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. <laughs> right, There's money there. I Get can smell it. it. Get on it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so Comedy Bang Bang first was Comedy Death Ray mm-hmm. way back in the day as a live show. At UCB, which you did with BJ, yeah, started at M Bar, right. um, and then was there at two, for two and a half years, and then went to UCB. Yeah. So, what made you jump into the podcasting realm? Because it was pretty early on, right? It was. It, it, it weirdly, it didn't feel early on. Um, and I've talked to Jimmy Pardo about this. Like when Jimmy, Jim, and Jimmy has has been doing it for so long yeah, at long this time. point. Um, but when he started, he kind of felt a little late to the party in the sense of like Ricky Gervais. Had had what we felt was popularized podcast, and it had hit its peak. Hmm. Um, and so he was like, "Am I going to look like I'm a little late to the party?" But at the same time, he was like, "Let me be." None of us were doing them, other than Matt Belknap was doing um, something called AST Radio, and he he just said, "You know, let me start doing this." You know, I, I don't want to be the person who like waits or sleeps on something. So he's one of the like biggest podcast pioneers. He'd been doing it for, I feel like, at least a year and a half or something when I was asked to do a radio show um, at a local L.A. radio station called Indy 1031, which um, Rolling Stone had, like, called the the best radio station in the country, you know. And it had gone under, um, and it had – it was internet only. But I knew the morning guy – who is the bassist of uh, a band I really like, the Vandals. And he had gotten the morning gig um, and he'd been doing it for like six months. And then abruptly the, the station went under. So he got the, (laughs) such a strange tangential story, but he had got the morning gig because he did a, a, a legal advice show because not only is he a bassist, but he is a, Judge, <laughs> like, like, like most bases. Yeah. So he's a lawyer and a judge. So he was doing a legal advice show in the afternoons. They they decided to make a change in their morning show, and they said, "Well, Joe, do you want to do it?" So he had like a strange six to eight months where he was waking up in the morning um, at three in the morning in order to get to this radio station oh. to do their their drive time. And he had asked me to do um, characters on the show. So I would call in from my house like at 6 or 7 in the morning and do um, – the one character I remember doing was the guy who played Spider-Man out in front of the Chinese theater. Oh. I pretended to be him and I would give – I would do reports on American Idol. I would do, I would do recaps. <laughs> Um, so, and then I did, I did like Robin Williams a few times and I did some other stuff. So when the station went under, they had to fire all of their DJs because they couldn't pay for them anymore because they no longer had advertising because as I found out, only 500 people listened to an internet only radio station at a time at any given time. So, but they still kept him on for his legal advice show because he had a sponsor, LegalZoom.com. <laughs> So he was the only person getting paid and they were looking for people to do shows for free. And so he said, well, you know, my friend who does the characters on my show, he probably would do it for free because he, you know, already has, makes a living doing, you know, screenwriting. And and so I bet we could get him to do it. And he has a lot of famous friends who would come on the show 
and the price was right. So, right. and they said, well, if you can get famous, who do you think you can get? And I said, well, you know, uh, I don't know, but let, you know, here's some of my friends. They went, if you can get those people, then you can do this show. So the first weeks I had the first episode, I had uh, Tom Lennon and Rob Hubel. Then I had like Kevin Nealon on and Sarah Silverman. And, and at that point they were like, Oh, okay. You've made good. You're getting, Thank you. you're getting good people. <laughs> people are it. listening. Yeah. So it was just a radio show and I literally grew up fascinated. I don't know why I said literally, um, because I was going to say a different sentence, but I grew up fascinated with the radio and, um, was just going to do it as a DJ on the radio, not thinking that these shows would be preserved or anything. Um, the, a fan recorded the first one and sent me a copy of it and was Mm. like, I recorded you while you were doing it. And, And I was like, Oh, send me an MP3 of it. And that was nice. And then episode two and on the, um, intern at the radio station said, Hey, do you mind if we podcast these? And I was like, Oh yeah, I don't know anything about podcasts. My friend Jimmy has one. Uh, sure. Put it up. I mean, that would be interesting. Um, it would Hmm. be nice for people to be able to listen to these down the line. Right. So they started doing it. And a few weeks into it, I was like, do you mind if I get the log into this? Cause I want to see what the numbers are. And I very quickly found out that podcasting was way more popular than an internet only radio station. (laughs) They were like, you know, I think I had like 2000 people listening at the start. And I was like, Whoa, that's, that that was amazing to me. 2000 people were listening. Um, so I said, do you mind if I just take over the podcast, uh, aspect of it? You know, cause I, I then got very anal about it, which I had been kind of anal about doing, um, the live show, you know, I was very like, protosorial with it where I was like, you know, every aspect of it I was involved in. So I said, let me, let me take over the podcasting part of it. And I, I really focused on that and, and start of Twitter was just starting and I was, I was, you know, uh, advertising through there. And I just saw this kind of like uptick in my Twitter, uh, presence kind of exploded from doing the podcast and vice versa. And it was like really kind of exciting of like, Oh my God, now I have 5,000 Twitter followers or, or, Oh wow. We've doubled our listenership to 4,000 people are listening. You know, it was just, um, I, I, I started just focusing on the podcasting part of it and not really caring about the people listening live. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like five years or so ago, we've been doing this about five and a half years Mm -hmm. now, but like about five years ago when we got into it, at really, even at that time, it felt late to the party in a sense. Mm-hmm. It also, I feel like, was the boom, like yeah. was the gold rush for podcasts. Because like when we started to get established too, because I just used my Sketchfest connections to get good people on, kind of mm-hmm. like you did, just trying to like people don't know us, but yeah. they know these people, and maybe it'll bring them right. to it. And then when we got listed in Rolling Stone that one year as like one of the ten best, or whatever, our, then we all of a sudden kind of blew up and stuff right. started going. Well, and it was like a time where it was viable for us to not be anybody and just have interesting guests mm-hmm. because it wasn't so saturated. Now you know you can look up any name and you have like oh the twenty that they've been on that you can pick from. Well, I you know as someone who now has a business devoted to it, it's really interesting of the sort of booms that happen. And, you know, there was, you keep kind of thinking, Oh, podcasts are over, but they just kind of change a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know? So, you know, when I first started doing it, it was like, uh, Jimmy already has his podcast. Is anyone going to listen to mine? You know? Mm -hmm. And then you realize, Oh wow, there's a ton of interest. And then you get more and more popular and then another boom happens where it's like now everyone seems to have a podcast and then cereal comes out and people and people who have never heard of the term before now know what it is. And yeah. it just kind of keeps increasing 
So it doesn't matter really how long anything's been around. There always be people that don't understand it. Like if you try to tell people what sketch comedy is, yeah. like they there's people that will automatically go, "Oh, skits." Do you, you mean, mean skits? Tell me what it is, by the way? <laughs> you guys do skits? It's wigs. Yeah, it's <laughs> mostly. Oh, wig. oh yeah. well, okay, I got it. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> but like, it's still like you know, then you're, if you if you like check like, well, Saturday Night Live, Monty Python, Kids in the Hall, like half the time they're like, eh, 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 like what it, is that? That's uh, stuff without a story, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh boy. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like people are getting more and more savvy with it, and. Um, yeah, so I mean, is it really? It's harder to make noise in a in a crowded landscape. You just yeah. have to be a little more. I, I kind of you know, in, in our company, we talk about it's not necessarily enough to be just interviewing people. Now, you know, you sort of have to in order to make noise in the marketplace, you have to do something kind of unique a little bit. But I'm sure the pendulum will swing back, you know, because the people who now interview who are just doing interview stuff will stop doing their show or they'll run out of people to interview. So then, you know, it'll, another person will come along doing really insightful interviews. You know, people never tire, sorry, people never tire of interviews. So, yeah. um, yeah, as long as the, the people are interesting, the questions are interesting and the conversation is fun to listen to. Right. People always come to it, you know, I think, um, yeah, I agree. Sure. <laughs> That's my insightful look at podcasts. I agree. That's also agreeing Boy. with that. <laughs> so the the TV show um, IFC, correct? That's where it lives. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I thought so, but I was like, all of a sudden, my brain started going. There's the trivia freak out before you say there's nine hundred channels. That happens to me all the time, where I'll be in the middle of a sentence and realize I forgot this person's last name or I forgot the title of the thing that I'm supposed to have. That kind of panic makes me crazy because I mm-hmm. know I know it and then I am so sure that I don't that right. I like I'm sweating immediately. Yeah, yeah. somebody <sighs> has kind of a difficult name to pronounce and you go over it like 27 times and you have it down and it's like you start rolling you say the opposite of what oh. it really is. I feel uh, I had a show recently with uh, Tatiana Maslani Oof. who I had to listen to her pronounced it several times in a YouTube video before I was like, I think I got this down. And then I said, so it's Maslani, right? And she, she was like, no, it's Maslani. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't hear the difference, but okay. And then I totally just, uh, her co-star, Christian Brunn, for some reason, I totally didn't even think to ask exactly how to say his name. And I was like, Christian, because that's how it looked to me. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's a woman's name. <laughs> I just felt like it's Christian, you know, but he spells it with a K. Right. So what are you supposed know. to do with that? But I, 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 especially on the TV show, I try to get into just, it's, it's an embarrassing question to ask, to be like, I know, I, I know how to pronounce this, but Uzo Aduba is it Uzo Aduba, <laughs> you know, and they, and people are normally like very nice about it, but I just have a thing about, you know, feeling embarrassed yeah. that like you should be a household name. How come I don't know exactly how to pronounce it? I'm so honored to have you here. If you could yeah. just lead me through saying your name. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah. So how did you, how did you translate basically the podcast in, into a TV show? I know they're not identical by any means, but mm-hmm. like, how did you, how did you approach taking the sensibilities of the podcast and bringing it to TV? Um, when I, when I got the offer to to do a show, um, a, a little bit of it was based on what they wanted. Um, they, I had tested out um, doing interstitials in between some of like ninety second interstitials where I interview Michael Sarah in in between acts of Arrested Development. Um, so so they they liked me as a presence and as a you know person who could hold a conversation with celebrities and and so when they. And they were big fans of the podcast. So when they said, hey, we want you to do a TV show based on the podcast, 
um, in my mind, what I thought they were asking was doing a very kind of low key, um, filmed version of just talking. Hmm. Um, I didn't think that it would be like the Howard, you know, I don't know if you remember the old E, yes. uh, Howard Stern shows, yeah. but I didn't think it would be that low key where like, we're doing it like a radio show, right. but I, I imagined it would be like a talk show, but, um, very low maintenance, like very, intimate. yeah, right. intimate. Um, and the Dan Pasternak, who was one of the people who, who spearheaded me getting a show, um, said, no, actually, I think we're thinking of something a little bigger than that because, um, you know, you're going to be on only once a week. I had thought they were asking me to do like a watch what happens type mm. four episode a week thing. They said, no, you're only going to be on once a week. We're only going to do 10 episodes. Uh, and when I heard that, I, I was like, oh, I need to do something a little more lasting. I need to do something a little more, um, less, um, sort of ephemeral. Um, and he said I'd worked with him on a sketch show for Showtime a few, like eight years previous. He was like, I kind of think this could be your chance to do the sketch show that you've always wanted to do, but in this format of what you do on the podcast. So it was really just born out of that. It could have taken any kind of shape, um, I could have done a really low key version of it. And I think that's what people expected a little bit more from it. But instead I said, okay, what is comedy bang bang for me? And by the way, it didn't have to be called comedy bang bang at the time. It could have been called anything. It could have been the, the, you know, Scott Ockham show or what have you. Um, but what, what we created was so kind of similar in my mind to comedy bang bang of it's me as a host. It's me talking to a celebrity and then a crazy character comes in that I was like, I think this is comedy bang, bang. It's not the same thing. Um, it's not the exact, an exact translation, but to me, it's like doing uh, a movie based on a book. You're going to change things because, uh, things work in movies that don't work in books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as long as kind of the spirit is there, um, and it's telling a similar story, I think we can call it comedy bang, bang and it, and it would help out, um, you know, the podcast would help it out and vice versa. So I decided to call it comedy bang, bang, which in retrospect, I don't know if that was a mistake or not, but it's, I think it's okay. <laughs> I don't know because I think a lot of pe- it, it, it gets lumped together with a podcast a lot in a way that is kind of a bummer to me. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I think it's a bummer when people, what and it's normally fans of the podcast watching the TV show. It sometimes happens the other way around, but um, normally it's people who who come to the podcast and go, oh, wow, I want to see the TV version of this and have an expectation of what it is. And then because it's not the exact same thing, which would be insane to be an hour and 40 minute (laughs) television (laughs) show where I'm just talking um, to people. But but because it doesn't have whatever that thing is that they the reason they like the podcast, it's different. They, it gets lumped together of like, well, I don't like the TV show as much, which is always like, you know, I'm trying to do two different things. It's a different thing, yeah. It's a different thing. So I could, I, you know, if I was just like, you know, because we're both on IFC, if I was Marin, for instance, he has WTF, he has Marin. Right. Right. They're different, and people can go, oh, he's doing these two different things. I get it. One's this, one's that. And they never get lumped together the the way that my show does. So it's, you know, a little bit of me sort of wishes I had called it something different. But but then part of me also goes, you know what? I think it benefited from just having a name name recognition. But yeah. exactly what it is. Well, and you've let the show evolve so much too, which I really like. I mean, I don't know what kind of discussions or thought went into it, but I love that it 
it's grown and it has like it's so commenty and then that comment changes and it's not married to any one thing yeah the the first year it was really um a comment on i don't want to say talk shows but it was a comment on hosted shows um we we were basically like okay any show that has a host in it be it um you know the tonight show to uh, mr rogers neighborhood to jerry springer uh let's do our take on anything that you would find on those shows um and we did 10 episodes of that and our 10th episode had a a storyline to it um and and we were encouraged not to have storyline episodes earlier on because we we were encouraged by the network to set the template so people know what the show is and within those 10 episodes by the end we had exhausted all ideas of of it's i don't even want to say parodies but like taking ideas that were on other shows and doing our version of it yeah because it can't that runs out of gas and you got to go to a lot of cool worlds but it was cool but it's a very i I think it's a very different show the first season to the second season and i sort of sometimes i kind of as as proud as i am of the first season and the first season got great reviews um I think it changed in the second season. I sort of say to people now, like, uh, start watching on the 10th episode of season <laughs> one and then you'll get it. Um, because what, what really happened was is in between one and two, I think the show kind of failed in a way. Um, it didn't meet the expectations of what they wanted another Portlandia hmm. and it didn't meet those numbers. So they decided to um, focus test or focus, put it through focus groups and test the show. Um, Which and always goes well. Which, it wasn't as bad. I mean, you know, they were honest about what people said. And I was like, all right, let's get ready to be insulted. Uh-huh. And, and it's always hard. But um, they had a few suggestions for the show. Also, the this is a big part of it. And this is just chance. The format of every IFC show changed in between those seasons. Oh. Where they were, I believe, uh, shows started with titles you could either do a cold open or not do a cold open and then there were three breaks maybe or no two breaks i can't remember exactly what it was but then they came to us in that second season and said okay all ifc shows now will have a cold open and we'll have um three breaks you'll have four acts and you'll have to do a pod buster a pod buster is the sketch that we do in between and and it has to be in between act one and two wow and it kind of threw us for a loop and then they also said we need you to get the the guest celebrity out within the first five minutes of the show which we had sometimes been having people come out like eight minutes into the show or something so and their reasoning on that was people are tuning, not tuning in for you. They want to tune in to see Zach Galifianakis, so let's get them out in the fifth minute. Zach, right. So that really, I remember it was a big kind of thought process of like, well, how do we do this? What do we actually do? Because we had sort of settled into a rhythm. They also said we want Reggie to announce the guests in the title sequence, which um, people were not on board for when the second season started. I can't imagine it any other way yeah. now, right. you know, but just any Those change. Are such specific notes. That's, uh, yeah. Any change is bad because, yeah. uh, because people are used to something. So we just kind of like thought about it and said, okay, well, I think what would happen then if we have to have a cold open, we can't do these like jokes. We had been doing like, if we had a cold open, which is like five episodes out of our first 10, we'd been just doing random jokes. So I said, I think what we should do is their other note was 
if you have a continuing storyline, people get invested in it and they tend to not tune out after five minutes because that's the problem with sketch shows on TV is people see one thing that they think is really funny. And then the next thing is not hitting them and is kind of boring. So they go, well, there's no storyline keeping me here. I can bail. Yeah. So they, they, I think they were doing this with all of their shows is make sure you have a storyline. So, we just embraced the storyline thing. I was like, I really like that green screen episode we did in the 10th episode. Let's just do all of our episodes like that, where we have a storyline and we're setting up the storyline in the cold open. And then, um, and then we see it play out over the, over the half hour. And so that, that really, you know, you, you sometimes get notes from a network and you're like, fuck you. I don't want to do notes, you know, but they were really helpful notes and they really kind of turned the show into what it is now. I think, which once we sort of hit on on our sweet spot of getting used to the new rhythm mid season two, I think we've been fairly consistent from the mid second season to to the end of the fourth now. Yeah, it's actually one of the things I really admired about Mr. Show was its ability to transition from scene to scene and then somehow put a bow on the end of most episodes where they all right. sort of connected. So there almost was a storyline that you didn't realize. We loved doing that that it gets very difficult to do, but, but we loved that kind of thing of the surprise. Hey, there's a storyline all along. Right. Um, I, I can tell you that got to be a huge pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, and, I can imagine, yeah. And for the new, um, the new episodes that those guys did, I think that we, that was one of the, uh, sort of mandates in, in writing the new ones was like, let's not care about that right. <laughs> all that much, which then you see the episodes in there. There actually is that kind of stuff in it, but it's not as strict as Mr. Show. Right. But I, I, I remember a two day period where we tried to think of a link between a TV commercial and a scenes in a hotel room. And we were like, we, uh, one of our rules was you can't come from a commercial into someone watching it on TV unless them watching TV is an intrinsic part of the storyline of mm. that sketch. So for two days, we, we beat our heads against the wall trying to come up with a really clever link. And uh, then we couldn't think of it. So we just had it coming out of the TV and the guy like going, huh, and turning off the TV and then doing the sketch. And we were so mad at ourselves and no one cares. Yeah. No right. one yeah. cares. And we look back at that two days going, what a waste of our lives. Right. <laughs> that was our life. We were not living for two days. Yeah. Um, now if we had come up with the greatest link in the world, would we feel that way? No. Yeah. But I mean, that was one of the things I think when we stopped doing, um, the fourth season was if we were going to do another season, it was going to be a very different show. And we were going to just say, you know what the hell with these links, let's not work that hard on them. Um, we ended up not doing a fifth season, but I think in, in the new shows, the Netflix shows with Bob and David, I think that was something that they were definitely interested in is like, let's not be so slavish to this structure. Yeah. Nice. Let's uh, let's do first. We okay, great. Podcast. Um, this ties in with Halloween and stuff. Ooh, God, I'm getting very f- 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 frightened. Uh, what was the first haunted house you can remember going in, and did it really scare you? <sighs> That's interesting. I my mind immediately went to I worked in one when I was 13 at the local community store. Center. Community store. Center. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> at the old Five and Dime. <laughs> um, so I must have seen some before then because I knew what to do. Um, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Orange County, and I think a lot of people would go all out 
and do uh, haunted houses where you would um, go inside, not necessarily inside their houses. I think a few people did, but around their yards and stuff. And I remember there was one house that we called the mansion um, that we thought was like the fanciest house. You know, we were like, it it was way more expensive than any other of these um, suburban tract homes. But I'm sure if I were to see it now, I'd be like, hmm, this is not that fancy of a place. <laughs> but it was it, – they went all out. Like they they were older people as I remember and they, they – everything was doused in this green light. And when you would come to trick or treat, they would be sitting as mannequins in, oh, in no. these seats. No, no, and no, then no. the lights would start to you know flash strobe lights and they would get up and scare <laughs> you and stuff. So I was very into that. I was very, very into Halloween and I was super into monsters. Um, I would, the universal monsters I was very fascinated with. I, I would check out these books in the library when I was five or six of, um, there were these books that, that showed every iteration of, um, like Dracula, for instance, there'd be one book based on Dracula and it would show every movie that had ever been made about a vampire and it would like do the plot and talk about the making of and all that. So I was really into these books when I was five. They had Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman. I remember like uh, really getting fascinated with all the different iterations of like, oh, wow, I was a teenage uh, Wolfman with Michael Landon. They talked, <laughs> they, they would do a whole four pages about that, about like, well, it was time for the, the Wolfman mythology to, you know, get introduced to teenagers. You know, <laughs> so I was like inundated with all this like monster lore. Um, and there's one story that I think is really funny is when I was six. Halloween came around and I was in the first grade and our teacher, um, said to the class, um, can now she was like doing a lesson on what Halloween was or whatever. And she's like, okay, now, uh, can anyone tell me a famous vampire? And and someone said, Dracula. And she said, very good. Now, does anyone know another movie that has a vampire in it? I raised my hand and I said, Nosferatu. (laughs) And she said, no. Anyone else? And someone said, love at first bite, which was out at the time. And she said, very good. Oh, God. I was like sitting there stewing. Going, right. So, but I, yeah, I, I think, I think it must've been something in the neighborhood, which sort of gave me a love of haunted houses, which is why at the UCB comedy death ray shows for, I think six years in a row, we, we, to get into our Halloween show, you had to go through a haunted maze that we created oh, throughout wow. the, and I remember when I first, told Susan Hale, who was the, or still is the theater, um, manager there that I wanted to do a haunted house. (laughs) And she was like, absolutely not. I don't even know how you would do that. (laughs) And I, then I took her through what I thought that it would be. And she was like, yeah, this was like typical of her. I would bring her ideas. I would go, I'm going to do an all night show, slumber party show till six in the morning. She'd go, I don't think there's, there's no way that you can do that. I go, here's how we do it. (laughs) Um, And and then she'd slowly get convinced and become like a huge champion of it. So I, so yeah, basically at the UCB Franklin, we, we figured out how to do a winding haunted house maze that would deposit people into the theater um at the end of it and then they would see our show which is one of those things that i'm like really proud of anyway haunted houses i love them (laughs) vanessa what was yours um i didn't have any i mean i grew up really pretty rurally so there was not a haunted house to speak of like creepy neighbors sometimes like person scaring you but the first like closest to that i remember is going over to my parents' friends, the McNamara's house. <laughs> they had like seven kids, all much older than me. I was 
by far the youngest and like they were all kind of I was like five or six years younger than the the youngest one so everybody else was like a teenager and I was so little and dorky and they were like we want to play a game with you and my sister got in on it too (laughs) and I felt so glad to be included they're like you stay here and we'll be right back and then I'm like I'm blushing just thinking about it they turned all the lights and they had those you know those scary like five and dime plasticky masks Mm -hmm. that used to be like pumpkin heads and they just came in and scared the shit out of me Nice. And was it around Halloween or was yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it was, it was the right season. So okay. I should have been expecting it, but I was just like, cool. He's I'm going to kids, put on the scary masks. <laughs> have you guys seen that documentary about haunted houses on Netflix? No. no. It's real good. Oh, real? Um, it's real? Like, real? <laughs> oh, real? Oh, real. Uh, it's just like, I think it's a lot of it in upstate New York and stuff, but like hobby haunted house people that make oh, it their cool. year to do it. It's really interesting. Oh, My wife hates them. Um, and she tried to put up with it a little bit when we first started dating because I love them. And I worked at Knott's Scary Farm oh, wow. and, um, you know, we'd go down there and she would like try to put on a happy face and we'd go to Universal and she'd try to put on a happy face. But nowadays she, there, there was one year where we just kind of had it out where she was like, I don't like these. I don't want to go through them anymore. And one night around Halloween, I was like, got a special treat for you. No. And we were at a haunted house and she got more mad than I've ever seen her and like left. And we had a, the biggest fight we've ever had. This is a long time ago um and nowadays she just doesn't go to them anymore we were supposed to go to universal the other night and she's just like you know i'm not going (laughs) but i I got i got so into like doing haunted houses that i when i got too old to trick-or-treat i wanted to scare people at my house so i would I had a sound effects record that I taped. It's a murdery I, thing to say, by the way. <laughs> and I would, I would, you know, take out all the light bulbs. And I remember one year I, um, I would hide in the bushes basically and scare people. But I remember one year I had, I had this, um, like a wig head, you know, a styrofoam yeah. wig head. Mm-hmm that I used to experiment with and I was always trying to like, I was either trying to make a puppet out of it or something. I didn't know quite what to do with it. And after a couple years of like doing various like puppet shows with it or something, I was like, I got a great idea. So I drilled a hole in the back, in the back of it, in the neck of it coming out the mouth. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I dressed it up in a wig and, and, and put a, like a fake body on it and everything and made it look like, you know, a a hulking imposing person. And I was like, Hey mom, I'm testing this thing out that I want to do in the haunted house. And I just learned that if you take a lighter and spray hairspray, you can shoot fire. So I did it through the mouth of this thing oh. and it shot 20 I, oh. it shot like 20 feet oh my god and she her and she went you are not doing that <laughs> at all and i don't i was like i have no idea why i thought that would be a cool thing to do to like scare people like fire With fire uh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah Yowza. i think mine was back in michigan there was this this one house that did like this amazing haunted house thing in their basement because all the midwest Uh-oh. houses had basements right do so you get on the stairs and like they would, it was like a maze. It was set up like a maze, but the walls were just like refrigerator boxes. They were oh, like wow. seven feet tall or whatever. So you couldn't mm-hmm. see it's ahead of it. And it was pitch black. Oh, so no. the way you would, there's a little bit of glow tape to show you the directions right. to go. Mm-hmm. And, but on the floor, they would have these like lights, think little light switches rigged up that when you stepped on them, it would turn on. Oh, light cool. In a corner. So like you'd be, you'd be walking and all of a sudden you step on a thing and all of a sudden something like 
a half a foot in front of you to get lit up like a zombie or something. Right, right. To scare you, but it was all triggered by when you would step on the Oh, thing. that's so awesome. And there'd be people, they would only take people down a few at a time. That's great. So there'd be maybe a couple people ahead of you, like a little further down. That's the way you have to do it. Right. So yeah. you'd hear like, oh God, at some point, you like knew something oh. was coming up. That's the thing I don't like about modern, like going to Universal or Knott's Berry Farm is, is there's so many people you have to just like, it's, it's a, like almost a, 25% chance that you'll actually be scared now because there's so many people in front of you. You yeah. can see everything coming. Yeah. yeah. And, and half the time now, those are just based on like a dude, a teenager jumps out at you and nearly hits you. <laughs> yeah. I tried the first year at UCB, the first year we did it. Um, I tried to do something similar where there, we, we, we got a motion detector that would see when someone approached and we hooked it up to a leaf blower. Um, and, it was like when when you triggered it, it would blow this leaf blower, which was like hooked up to a, a uh, like a witch's thing or something. So it was like uh, it very suddenly would billow would, out. would billow out and scare you. And we also hooked it up to a camera that was broadcasting people being frightened oh, to awesome. to the people who had already gone through that's it great. in the audience. Nice. It didn't work exactly the way I wanted to work That's it out because good idea, though. but it's a pretty good idea. That's and so, idea. so when people were getting scared, you could if it worked right, it was great, and you could hear you could hear people laugh right next to you. <laughs> like, you know, that's awesome. We also had a haunted house at my church, which I'm remembering now, which is a really weird thing because it was a har- it was a harsh haunted house, and for like a Christian evangelical church to have a haunted house is a very strange thing, yeah. but. Back when that church that I grew up in was like booming, they would do stuff like that. Like they would do have a volleyball league all summer long, and so you know because there the were so, there were so right. many people. Yeah, yeah, so it was like they did a major, major haunted house one year, and it was like, very strange. Devils and blood. Yeah. Communion. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't even like one of those. Like, what do they call those? Yeah, I've been trying to think where it's like AIDS and like, yeah, lifestyle yeah, pregnancy scares. and yeah. stuff. Yeah, there's that documentary that I think Bill Maher did about yeah. that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Ugh. Ugh. Well, let's do my question. Okay. This is a, we haven't done a rankum in a while. Uh, this is a rankum. Uh, it's the zombie apocalypse, and you, hot saucerman, are stuck with a group of ten friends of comedy bang bang. Uh, rankum in terms of who gets killed and eaten first by the zombie horrors, and who you think will last the longest. Here are the ten people to consider. Okay. Um, do you want me to just give my list? Where am sure. I? I'm. I'm. I'm it's in... like the zombie apocalypse. You're like you're all living in one communal area. Okay. Um, but they are Nick Kroll, Jason Mantzoukas, Brett Gelman, Lauren Lapkus, Neil Campbell, PFT, Paul F. Tompkins, Amy Mann, Marilyn Rice Cub, Paul Shear, and James Adomian. Such a good list. Wow. Okay, so who who do I think is going to last and who's going to get eaten the first? Yeah. Wow. I. Okay. Nick Kroll, I feel like he's kind of soft. I feel <laughs> yeah. like he's... He grew up rich. I think I think he's he's had it pretty easy. So I think he goes first, and not just just because he's the first one on the list. Um, I think Neil Campbell. He's you know the executive producer of the TV show and the head writer. He's a little more crafty than I. I think he's in his head a lot. I think he would come up with ways to stay alive. That he'd be sort of like the Glenn on The Walking Dead, where right. where he you know figures out that like blood and viscera and guts repel zombies, and he would like be the person to figure that out. So I think <laughs> he he's up there in people who would survive the longest. I feel like James Adomian also is up there because he's got 
I mean, these characters he plays that are sort of semi-survivalists, like Jesse Ventura, he's not too far away from that. He's kind of he's kind of off the grid himself, and I think most people on this list couldn't even fathom being off the grid. And so someone who's already taken that step of like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not on the Internet or not. I don't have an email or anything. I think he's going to be someone who is going to be mentally already there of like figuring out how to survive. Um I, you know, I, Paul F., at what point does he say, you know what? I have to survive zombies. I'm not going to wear a tie today. I know, right? I think too late. Yeah. So I think he's, he's early to go. Uh, Lauren Lapkus, I feel like she is, she's younger than most of the people here. So I think just youth, I think um, it can go either way. She could not be smart enough, but she's so smart that I feel I like... I think she, she'll form good alliances. She's got so. 10 years yeah. of, like, you know, being able to run on us. So I think she's <laughs> she lasts a long time. Manzukas. I think Manzukas probably fantasizes about this situation. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I feel like... He's not equipped. He's too into comic books. And he'd have some good ideas based on comic books, but I, I, I think he goes. Brett Gelman, I don't know. He's in the middle to me. Like, he would survive for a while, and then he'd be in a fight with someone and and yelling at them and, and too loudly to notice that a zombie snuck up on him, and he gets, he gets bitten. His vices would kill him. Right. Yep. Or another human would just... Off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> somebody off so bad. You're pissing me off. Uh, Amy Mann, she's never seen a vampire movie. She claims she oh, wow. claimed that on my last podcast, so she doesn't have any of the knowledge even necessary to survive. She goes almost <laughs> immediately. <laughs> um, Sheer goes to all of these haunted houses every year, so I think he he's in that mindset where he he could jump into that pretty easily. So I think he survives a, a long time. Um, and Mary Lynn, you know, I think it depends on, you know, she's got a, she's got a kid and a husband. It depends on if, if they're with her, you know, she would probably fight to keep, she's got a lot to fight for. If they're gone already, I think that she succumbs relatively quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So I know I didn't rank them, but it's more or less. Yeah. These are my questions and then you can be done. Have you ever met an Olsen twin? (laughs) I have not met an or did I? No, I don't think I met... No, I didn't meet them personally. I did work on, for one day, the movie New York Minute. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar. Okay, so here's... And I know I've told this story before, but um, here's what happened to me on New York Minute. Um, I got... I had just switched agencies, and I think my new agent was trying to sort of get me in his good graces. So he set me up with doing punch-up on New York Minute for one day, which was a kind of insane amount of money to me. It was like, you get $5,000. You have to be there from 10 AM to 5 PM. And, um, you know, uh, basically all you have to do is you have to like pitch jokes. You have to read the script before you go in. They're up in Canada. Currently they're about to film and they're looking for like ways to punch up the script. So it was me and maybe a couple other people I knew. And then some people I didn't know, um, and we, you know, generally had a good time. We met, met each other and then, um, it started and, um, it was on video conference from Vancouver where it was shooting and the director was in Vancouver watching 
And then the Olsen twins, I think it was their manager or something. He was like some dude, some like young guy, really scruffy, who was wearing a dirty T-shirt, as I recall. And he would keep getting up every 15 minutes and go to the bathroom. And either he had like a some sort of urinary infection or he was like doing drugs in the bathroom. I don't know. But he was just like very antsy. And this was kind of pre-cell phones being ubiquitous. So I don't think he was like making calls or anything. You know, he was just basically going to the restroom all the time. So we did about an hour where we were – and I'm not saying that we were any good um, because I don't – typically shine in a punch-up situation like i'm really good at looking at a script and saying okay here's what's wrong with it and here's how to improve your story Mm -hmm. but i don't love being in a situation where i'm just like the script's already locked and here's a bunch of jokes jokes, for it yeah. yeah you know um so we we're we're doing what we could and there were some pros there so it was like there was some funny stuff um suddenly the video conference apparently on the other side in vancouver froze and we froze and they could no longer hear what we were saying however we could hear what they were saying oh wow so the director turns to her assistant and says it's interesting isn't it i mean it's an interesting process i mean um quite honestly like this is a bunch of shit and i'm not going to do any of this shit that they're talking about i mean this is really kind of horrible but it's it's an interesting process of like when you see how movies are made like this you know and we just all our eyes widened and the producers of the movie looked at us like oh let's turn this off and they oh my god they turned it off and said let's take a 10 minute break so we took a 10 minute break and when we came back they said well i think you know we're just about wrapping up here and you know we're we've got a lot of good stuff i think that's all we need oh no and then the director like called and left messages personally for everybody saying thank you so much for your hard work and stuff like that so it was definitely one of those situations where i got five grand to work for an hour basically wow nice and And be insulted and be insulted but hey i'll take five grand to be insulted like that but i mean New York Minute went on to win the the prestigious New York Minute award <laughs> of being the only movie titled exactly what their award is named after. Right. So. so congrats to those guys. Yeah, they really wow. earned it. Um, now, please give everyone a really, really great Halloween costume idea. You know, everyone, it seems to me like everyone wants to do just topical stuff nowadays, you know, and, and anyone who basically like hits whatever people are talking about that week, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of Kim Davises. Um, I've, I've, I really, I did it once sort of as a, as a reaction to that, um, in, 2003 I think I came to a party dressed as Monica Lewinsky where I had the beret a cigar a semen stain and I was like and knee pads and I was like I'm Monica Lewinsky <laughs> and the people who got it thought it was really really funny of like I was doing a comment on that yeah. um and they thought it was really, really funny. And the majority of people who were 90% of the people went, ah, oh, that's cool. And thought I was like lame yeah. for doing that and thought that I was out of date and I was doing a take on being yeah. out of date. But I really miss the people who do like, co- or, like actual costumes. I learned very late in life that if you're a guy and, and women – um, so both sides of the, of the gender <laughs> coin, you, when you're going to a party and you are there to actually like meet someone else, you don't want to have a mask mm-hmm. and you don't want to have a ton of makeup on your face because 
you're eventually like trying to get to make out with someone. So I remember one party at one Halloween party that I went to, I was dressed, um, as Paul Stanley, I think. And I had full kiss makeup on and I, I, um, started making out with this person and she had like an imprint of Paul Stanley on her face by the end of the night, you know, which is kind of a trophy for you. Yeah, that's true. But I think you really want to be like one of those costumes that has a free unencumbered face. You're not wearing a mask. You're not behind something so you can eat. Um, but I'm just really sick of saying Mr. Peanut, Mr. Peanut. That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) One thing I've always wanted to do just for some party, like some party where you know about like like a bunch of your friends are going, Mm -hmm. we're about 20 friends to do this together. Have everybody come in the same outfit, like as Rambo. Something that's like cult, like there might be one or two at a party. Right. Fun, weird if there's two. Oh, well, I guess we have the same. But 20 idea. people. But 20 people. But stagger when you're arriving mm-hmm. and all act like, what the shit, man? So right. Like, eventually there's 20 Rambos walking And out. people would be like, is this a Rambo party or a Halloween party? <laughs> yeah. What were, was we, Rambo? were we supposed to be Rambo? <laughs> I agree. If you come all at the same time, people would be like, huh, huh, look at all those friends. They dress up like Rambo. But if it's just happening every 15 minutes, yeah. a it's, horrible slow burn of Rambo. What is that? He's like, why are there so many Rambos here? There's a ton of Rambos this year. (laughs) So many Rambos. John Rambo. (laughs) (laughs) You've angered a wizard, and he is giving you a choice between two punishments. Hmm. You must either always have a microphone in order to be heard at all in every conversation, intimate or not, or before you can talk to anyone about what you want, you have to spend five minutes talking about CrossFit enthusiastically. Uh, Am I allowed to explain the microphone to people? Mm-mm. No. Or the CrossFit. Or the CrossFit. Okay. That's important. Yeah. Um, so either you become the microphone guy when people say, "Why?" can I ask you a question when they get to know you? Like, hey, why do you carry a microphone around? Wish I could tell you. I like it. <laughs> yeah. like, that's about what you can say. Or you just are the person who is talking about CrossFit. I, I'll tell you just for expediency's sake, carrying around the microphone. Yeah. It's not that far removed. It wouldn't get in the way of my job necessarily because I have to have a microphone um, in part of my job. So that's okay. The CrossFit, if you had to do it every single time you have a conversation Ooh. for five minutes, that's a big chunk. You're talking an hour at it's least wasteful. a day. Yeah. 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 You'd have wow. to move to a place very close to where you work just to <laughs> cut down travel time. So, yeah, the microphone. Great choice. Other than Zach Galifianakis and a guest, what are three things you'd like to put between two ferns? Hmm. You know, um, so basically you're just asking like, what are three things that I actually enjoy and would like group together? I don't know. Sure. (laughs) I mean, what would look good between two ferns or that's interesting. You know, the, the ferns thing was not my, was not my idea. That was, that was all Zach, I have to say. So, um, he's definitely the one who has to live with all of the jokes about it. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, it's very weird when people send me shots of themselves between ferns and stuff like, yeah, yeah. On Twitter and stuff, they'll go, look, I'm between two ferns or whatever. Um, you have a good laugh, right? It's a good, (sighs) I have a good chuckle. You know what? I will say this. People get very upset at my Instagram, especially with people leaving like, name puns on it like you know if i have a dog it's like dog slobberman or whatever and they are they're constantly writing to me saying how upset does that make you i'm like not at all someone cares (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) um but um as far as you know i I think i would like something to eat so Mm -hmm. i would probably put you know 
an in and out four by four. Oh, um, hungry. I'd probably put something to have sex with. Um, so I would probably put uh, an in and out double double <laughs> and uh, it's there. something for companionship. So probably just an in and out single burger. Wow. Nice. And this is your final question. Um, I'm going to tell you some outfits that have been worn on the show and see if you know. On on your oh on my yeah. show oh, oh and okay. see if you know who they belong to. Wow. Okay. A polo and blue suede shoes. Oh man, I should know this one. Who had the blue suede shoes? I know. I felt like oh, that's going to be too easy. Uh, season two, I feel like, but who had those shoes and a polo? Wasn't Rob Cordry? Was it? No. no. I'm um, not uh, Judd Apatow. Apatow had mm-hmm. oh, it was that recently. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was when I started uh, not caring. Okay. <laughs> Everything lines up. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Who wore a floral blouse and black heels? Floral blouse, black heels. Seems like a polar thing, maybe. I was going to say close, but it, it's not, not really, really close. I mean, the, the, the same season. Jenna Fisher. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she definitely did. Yep. Uh, and now, where's a Halloween costume? That would be Pee Wee Herman. Yay! Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I remember those ones way easier. I remember the ones from the first couple of seasons way easier because I had more say in what they turned out to be. Like, we, we parsed every word ah. back then, and I paid way more attention. Then I think of the third season, I was just like, yeah, call it whatever. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, I, like, shunted it off to the people at IFC. I said, do you guys know clothes better than Can I do? Just, just yeah, do this? Mm-hmm. I'm very busy. If it's a specialty episode where we don't want to give away a plot point, we'll I'll take a little more care with it, like the... Uh, uh, wears a Halloween costume or, um, you know, Weird Al wears a different Hawaiian <laughs> shirt, <laughs> you know, um, but for, for most of them, I don't care. If anymore. there's no finessing to be done, why finesse it? Why finesse I can sometimes, the floral one I should have gotten because I remember, and Jenna was pregnant at the time too, so I remember like, but I'm not a person who remembers clothes. I will leave here not knowing what either of you wore. Good. <laughs> I feel like and that is a we're promise. not making big statements here. <laughs> but if someone were to, you know that, that thing where someone, you're, you're training for the FBI and, and your teacher's up there droning on and suddenly uh, um, uh, oh. a person jumps in and, and takes someone hostage and leaves the room and you're supposed to like I remember recite. nothing. I don't, I don't even don't, remember faces. I have a I real problem. Faces, I feel like no. my brain is broken. Races. I mean, I'm sort of colorblind in that way, which is... Oh, a, that's so amazing. You just see people. I, but I remember like the thing that happened sort of of or like the intention or like what was said a lot but i cannot remember details of what anyone looks like yeah yeah same we were like i can name you 20 people that started silverado but i can't remember what i did this past saturday right like it's just weird how you're did you watch silverado (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's why you could remember these things Uh, yeah it's just weird how your brain picks certain things that Mm -hmm. it it can store away and then dumps other stuff and all that i i it's interesting because uh, uh emotion is what what connects you to memories that you remember a lot, um, having a, a very, uh, emotional bond to these things. And I think that like people, when you're young, you, you attach, uh, an emotion to a piece of art that you, that you really respond to. So I think that's, you know, uh, someone who remembers 20 people who are in Silverado is like a lot of their identity is based on that when they're young 
And um, that's kind of like a point of pride or a badge of honor to a young person. Like, I can name 20 people in Silverado. And then when you get to be 40 and don't give a shit about that anymore <laughs> um, because you're married or because, like, you find out quickly no one cares that, they're, <laughs> that you know this and kind of stuff. And maybe you don't care. <laughs> right. then, then that's why you stop to kind of re- – you don't remember anymore. And the reason you don't remember something that happened last Saturday is because nothing int- – you, you would remember if, like – you got very scared or you you saw something that that touched you or something but right. prob- you know like if you're just eating and hanging around the house you right. don't care <laughs> Yeah. Don't recall that right away. Or you're Mary Lou Henner and you can remember everything that ever happened. Mary Lou Henner disease. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Would that be a we blessing or a so curse? Lucky. I mean, in Mary Lou Henner's case, a she's blessing. Doing, what she's a wonderful doing fine. life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's weird, though, that I you can remember be my like, great day yesterday. <laughs> with her, you can be like, you could just be, okay, October 7th, 1982. Mm-hmm. And she'll go, okay, it was a Tuesday. Uh, it rained. Like, Is that true know. that yeah. much? I, yeah. she, I've 100%. seen her do it. Yeah. I woke up, I ate this, I did this, I did the. Yeah, it's crazy. She can remember everything. That just is like, you know, they're always saying incorrect things about like, we have 40% of our brain we don't use. And mm-hmm. that percentage wise changes. She's using all of it. She's probably using like 2% more. Right. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the crazy. No, she uses 100. She'd be like, you know, a limitless Lucy who's like, right. you know, making things float. And, right. Um, but. Yeah, I wonder is she going to make like an autobiography, and if you read it, is it going to be every single be detail so of every single yeah. day of her life? Wow. Mary Lou, narrow it down. Oh <laughs> I think it's important that people know that I had <laughs> the yo play influenced everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go figure. Oh well, Scott, you made it all the way through. What a oh. guy! Um, no one died. That's a good thing. That's great. Uh, that's Do great people thing. normally die in this show? Philosophy. Oh my god! Yeah. You haven't seen PFT in a while, right? Uh oh. <laughs> um, people can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, right. if they want. Scott Ackerman on there. <laughs> You're so uh, forceful. <laughs> they can uh, write names at you on Instagram. Yep, that's fun. That's the thing that can happen. Uh, <laughs> and watch Comedy Bang Bang and listen to it. Sure. All those things. Those if you want. You, do. <laughs> you know, we're not going to tell you what You're to do You're a free people. person. Look, you call the shots. I wish there was an, am- an amendment, like the Second Amendment, that said everyone had to watch Comedy Bang Bang. But there's not. People Yet. are free to do whatever they want. Keep so. fighting. Because if there was, then people will be upset if the government tried to take their Comedy Bang Bang mm-hmm. away. Right. Like, yeah, and I'd have a job forever. Right. So, but, I, but I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> well, thanks for being here, Scott. You made it all the way through. Uh, at Scott Ackerman on Twitter. I'm at Cole Stratton. I'm at Vanessa Ragland. The podcast is at PMC Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for being here, Scott. Thank Yay. you so much for having me. I'm so glad I could finally make it. Subscribe to the Pop My Culture Podcast on iTunes. Check us out online at popmyculturepodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at PMC Podcast. Thanks for listening.